Welcome to the Work Matters Podcast. In each episode, talking with thought leaders and executives, PurposeWorks founder Thomas Bertels explores what it takes to make work more productive, valuable, impactful, and meaningful. Let's begin the conversation. Our guest today is Dart Lindsay. Dart is the head of global process excellence for Google for people operations. And prior to that, you spent 18 years with Cisco in different right HR and IT roles. But you actually started your career as a writer, right? And you're still active as a writer and speaker. And we got introduced by a mutual friend, Bob Aubrey, who was also a guest on this podcast a while back and had a great conversation about looking at work as a product, right? That companies sell. And so welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's, it's so great to be here, Thomas. So Dart, you've been advocating to really view employees as customers of the work experience, right? Who really buy an experience. And that means that really for companies, it's like a switch in mindset, right? You're not just selling a product to your end customers, but you're also selling the work experience to the people who work in your organization. And uh, find it fascinating. What got you to take that perspective? The very first thing was uh, an aesthetic experience I had, which is that my friends and I in college climbed the Golden Gate Bridge. That means that we got onto one of those, those long sweeping strands that hold up the bridge and we walked all the way to the top of that of one of the towers. And then we found a trap door which led us to the interior of the towers and we climbed around inside those towers. What I found with the Golden Gate Bridge was an enormous human-made object that was not built for humans. I started calling this inhuman design. And you find it in different places in your life. You find it, I found it, for instance, walking around the Hoover Dam. It's an, another similar huge object not made for humans. And then I started to realize that that same thing happens when you're waiting in a line at TSA, which is it's a human-made system that's not really made for humans. And I, I realized after experiencing work in a large corporation that I'd come into one of those inhuman design situations, which is it's not designed for humans. And I didn't know why, but I recognized that like the Golden Gate, like one of these other structures. So the first thing was aesthetic. Years later, I, I, I became the head of business architecture and this was at Cisco Systems. And, I, and it was my job to build these logical models for how the whole company worked. And so in building these models, a funny thing happened, which was that people in the company ended up in two places in the models. They ended up inside the company as, as an input to production, like a lot of other input to productions, but in the models, they also showed up outside the company as a customer. And, and that seemed at the time, it seemed like a modeling error. The, the third shoe dropped, I guess. I, that's the wrong metaphor, <laughs> no third shoe. But anyway, the, uh, which was that I was uh, writing a patent uh, for a brokerage-like marketplace for Internet of Things data. And that forced me to really get into the business models of marketplaces and the business models of multi-sided markets. And that's when I realized that the reason employees are showing up as customers outside of the company as well as inside is because employees are one customer in a multi-sided marketplace. And so I realized that all businesses are 
working in a multi-sided market and all businesses have more than one customer and one of those customers is the employee. And, and you've been researching that perspective now for quite a while, right? You've been asking a marketing question, right? Mm -hmm. What job do you hire your job to do for you, right? And I'm curious to hear what you found in your research. I have been asking that question and, and it's, it's interesting. I, I stumbled upon that question and it turns out to have been incredibly appropriate. It was a question that many people may know was popularized by Clay Christensen. And it was popularized because of the idea, uh, I think it was another professor at Harvard who said, people don't want to buy a drill. They, they want to buy a quarter inch hole. And so if you want to know how to design something, you ask them what they want to do with it. When employees are customers, then the first question you have to ask is, what are they buying? And why do they buy it? The history of human resources and of business has been buying humans for work as an input to production. And this turns it around and says, if you as a person were buying work, what would you, what would you want to buy? And so I've asked this, this question. And what I found is about 35 different ways of answering it. And they're all very distinct. A lot of the things that people answer are very what, much what you expected. People say, I hire my job to give me money. But if you ask them, well, what do you want the money for? They say, well, you know, I, I want to take care of my family. And you say, if you could take care of your family without the money, would that, would that be good enough for you? And you say, yeah, it's not the money that I'm after. It's the, it's the actually taking care of my family. Or they say, I want the money so that I can buy other experiences. And the first person who ever said that to me uh, said that I, they were, I said, what are you going to, what experience do you want to buy? And they said, I'm going to go climb Mount Everest in two weeks. And so I said, if you could climb Mount Everest without the money, if your job could help you to do that, would that be enough? And they say, yeah, it's not the money, it's the experience. People say that they, that they hire their job to learn. That is something that a lot of us expect. But then there are these other answers. People say that they hire their job to give them puzzles to solve. And I think for you and me, for instance, being, you know, having spent our lives solving puzzles for companies, we understand that, which is that a really good puzzle is something that is hard to come by. And it's something that a company can sell to us that we would go to buy. There's a story I tell a lot of one of the respondents who said to me, I hire my job to pretend. And I said, you know, I didn't understand what he meant. I said, what do you mean by pretend? And he says, I, I just like to go to work and I like to pretend to be a vice president. And I said to him, you are a vice president, you know? And he says, no, I'm really not. He says, I'm a jazz musician. And I spent so many years on the stage as a jazz musician that I learned to love the stage. And I love the lights and I love an adoring audience. And so I go to work to be my stage. And he said, I get to put on this costume. It's the vice president costume. And it's interesting because the first time I meet one of these people who says that that's what they hire their job for, I think, well, that's the last of those I'm ever going to meet. And then I meet others. So that thing about the stage, it's been fascinating to talk to people about that one. A number of teachers have said to me, yeah, I do, or professors or professional facilitators will hire their job to be a stage or startup entrepreneurs who have a new idea and they want to go out and sell it. 
and they find themselves after they've been acquired by another company that they don't get to pitch their 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 big story anymore. They've lost their limelight and they don't like it. So this list kind of goes on and on. And you know, a, a lot of these things are very distinct, but there's a very interesting class of patterns which are universal or they're very common, they're recurring across all of the, the different things that people want. So there's a design concept when I put a cap on a pen and it goes click like that. That click is called a detect. And it's an important design attribute of a product because it tells me that I've completed my action. Pens that just sort of mush on, they don't feel quite as good. But a pen that goes click, you know you're done. Well, if I like the stage, how do I know I've been successful? There's applause, there's laughter, there's clapping. I can see people's faces, they're smiling. Zoom's not very good for a lot of those things. Um, Zoom's not great if, if you want to have an adoring audience and know it and have the detect. If you're a puzzle, if you're somebody who wants puzzles to solve, you need to know that you've solved the puzzle. You need to know when that's done. And without the detect, you're unsatisfied. Following your line of thought, right, that companies really would be well advised to look at work as a product, right, because employees actually buy that experience. What are the implications uh, if you're like an HR function, you say, Dart, you're absolutely right, but what do I do with that? Where do I take that? Because HR sees itself primarily as a, uh, as a function that uh, acquires an input to production, which is the workforce, HR has turned to tools to psychology from psychology to, to assess the workforce and to, to you know, incent the workforce and motivate the workforce, but hasn't really got into what the workforce really wants from work. And so what happens is when we say something like employee experience, a lot of times what we have to turn to in order to get money is how am I going to make the workforce more productive? You get a very limited set of tools when you ask that set, that question, which is how am I going to make the workforce productive? It's like if you wanted, if I was a selling cars and it is true that I want you to buy my car, but as soon as I've decided that, I need to stop thinking about that. I need to start thinking about what do you, Thomas, want from that car? And I can forget about the money. If I give you what you want from that car, you'll give me money. And so this, there needs to be a department created in, in the HR organization that's focused on experience that is completely independent of the question of productivity. And it needs to be doing the kind of market research that I'm describing, which is it, it needs to go out and deeply understand the diversity of demands that is coming from the workforce and recognize that this is something that's come up very recently with COVID, which is I was talking to some executives who were saying, look, we've built up a really strong brand around our on-campus experience. And we feel like if we let people work from home, that we will lose that brand, that, that we no longer will be differentiated in the marketplace. And my response was, you shouldn't be thinking of having one work experience product. You should be thinking about having a line of a product line. There needs to be a consumer research part of human resources. There needs to be a product design part of human resources. 
that actually comes up with a sense of what is our line of products. Then there needs to be a product delivery part of HR. And the CHRO needs to be recognized as a peer. The chief people officer needs to be recognized as a peer to every other C-level executive who is selling a, a product line. How do you scale that? And the answer is the role of managers really needs to change. So first of all, managers, they're now in a customer facing role and they need to recognize that. They are also a business, you know, a, a uh, product customer facing, but they act as a broker between the demands, you know, that come from whoever's requesting the, the product or service that the company sells and the demands of the other customer. And so it's a very important role. Think of a business as an enormous, having an enormous flow of, of non-monetary value that's flowing to employees. One person wants puzzles to solve. One person wants this. And so understanding the nature of the work that each person on your team wants and being able to allocate work to them based upon their needs. In fact, today I, I do this thing with my team, which is called the bubble chart. And we bring in work and we assess whether or not we're going to take that work based upon whether or not it's going to produce a certain amount of business value on one dimension, on another dimension, it's, is it core to our mission of our team? But the third dimension is, is it any fun? I actually said any fun and the team said, no, we want more than fun, we want rewarding. And so we changed that third axis, the, the Z axis to, to rewarding. And what we do is we track how rewarding our work is over time. And if something goes into the red, we figure out how to change that work. We can allocate that work to somebody else. We can stop that project. We can diminish the allocation to that project. We can fix it in some way. We've created systems for optimizing it. If the scope of my team does not get the kind of work that my team wants to do, I have two choices. Either that person can go to a different team where they can find the work they want, or I can change the scope of my team. I think, I think, that's, a, I think that's a huge insight, right? We defined the work to be done. Now we just got to find people to do it we'll pay them right as, as little money as possible right <laughs> to achieve that to let's really think about this as finding the right work to be done and, and and inventing new work to be done and and doing that with the people who do it right and and, and do it also and and basically bring that perspective like if it's not fun or interesting it's probably not worth doing right i i think yeah. that's a really unique thing that you bring to the table there and, and it's my job to, to win enough work for my team that we can pick and choose. Yeah, it's also a very different employer brand, right? Where you say instead of you defining yourself by the products you're making, you're also defining yourself by the by the work that you're creating. When you and I spoke earlier, you, you made the, uh, and we were talking about, you know, you know, designing jobs to be intrinsically motivating. Autonomy is one of right, the key variables there. And I thought you made a really good point that, that autonomy well, the loss of autonomy is actually that the price people currently pay, right, for a job. What can we do to minimize that cost? Yeah, this is this is one of the surprises of the research, I think, which is that I had read that people want autonomy. But when I interviewed hundreds of people, nobody ever said that they wanted autonomy from their job. They never said, I hire my job to be free. And for a while, I was confused by that. But what I realized was that autonomy is the cost of work. It's what we pay to acquire the experience that we buy. 
So we pay a couple of different things. We also pay with skills. And so skills are the currency that we buy work with. And one of the other side costs is the, the lack of autonomy. And the lack of autonomy though, is baked into the traditional model of human resources and management. And so when we treat employees as, as simple inputs to production, we drift into treating employees as things without agency. And it's very interesting, even the very sentence structure that we use to talk about the workforce always is, we're going to do X to the workforce. We're going to do this. It puts always subject, it's subject verb object and the object is the workforce. And so listen to these words that are commonly used to refer to employees. Words like people are assets and people are human capital. We frame people as things that companies own, where ownership is actually the definite, one of the definitions of ownership is in one's control. In fact, the, the word employee literally means one who is used. We need to change that framing. Instead of owning the workforce like that, we need to do what you do with customers, which is you win them. And so recently I wrote about flipping the org chart, which is, it's, it's a very potent metaphor of control. And the way it works is it, it always positions management at the top and with all the teams below. Up and down always has meaning in every language. Up means more, down means less. Up means healthy, down means sickness. You know, up means power, down means weakness. And up means control. And this is where this metaphor of having the org chart with the manager on top and the people down below um, comes to play. Up means control and down means controlled. And so on my team, we flipped the org chart. So it, I'm the trunk of, the, of like a tree and the team branches out above me. And the, the message of this metaphor, one of the team members said something, said it's like somebody's taken the ceiling, the roof off of the organization and let the light in, which is your individual contributors are where the growth happens. It's your individual contributors. In fact, routinely, it's, it's not the management that's closest to the customer. It's the, it's the tips of the branches. And the, the people who are growing and learning the fastest are, are the tips of the branches. And so the role of the manager in this particular metaphor as the trunk of the tree and as the roots is to, is to help frame the purpose and the values of the organization and let the tree grow where it wants to go. I think it's very interesting. It also ties actually very much to uh, kind of like the consulting experience, right? Where you win a project and then you, you look at, you know, where the people want to play. It really is a voluntary thing where people say, is this like an interesting problem to solve, right? And, and, and then to your point, right? The role of the manager becomes source the right work and provide the direction. So I, I, I like the, I see the parallel there. Just to add a point on that, which is that I had a, uh, I had a team that was completely just before the team I have now, that was completely fixed in regards to what work was available to it. The work came in, we had no choice about selection, the work, you know, there's no autonomy at all for us. Part of the reason that I decommissioned that old team and started this new team was to create a team that had the degrees of freedom to select the work that they wanted to have. So I turned us from a fixed model into a consulting model because that would then provide us the freedom to choose. So Everybody right now is talking about the great resignation. How does this tie into that, into that context, right? How can managers take some of the ideas that you have there 
and and really use that as a way to to, to win that war for talent. How do you how do you operationalize this? Where do you get started? It's it's interesting that the phrase I used recently is that huh, the frog has jumped out of the boiling water and doesn't want to jump in now. What I think we need to recognize that all product decisions are a trade-off, and and also that if we want to win the market, we need to understand what differentiates our product in the marketplace and double down on that. So if you can afford it, if you're a big enough company, you should have a product line. One of the things about the idea that employees are an input to production is that, is that we always look at employees and use psychology to understand what type of employee is this. But the truth is, when you look at work as a product that we sell, you recognize that people buy it because of, not because of who they are, but because of the situation that they're in. I'll give you an example. I was just talking to a company that really does not want a hybrid workplace. They really don't. They want a traditional workplace where people come into the office. I said, okay, then you're really going to have to invest in making that the best of that kind of product that there is and make that attractive. And you're probably going to need to hire in a go forward way. You're going to need to invest in hiring, which you can say winning employee customers who want to buy that product. Dart, a real pleasure to talk to you. I, I always walk away with something new been talking to you. Thank you so much for, for sharing your perspective. For people who are looking more on your work and your thoughts, they can find that where? I have these 30 different patterns that I found and what people want, but I can only find so much data by interviewing people because it's a long process. So I've created a survey and that can be found at letsredesignwork.com. So I'll say that again, that's letsredesignwork.com. And if you go there, it's not a very long survey, I'd like to I'd like to know what you hire your job to do for you. All right. Thank you so much. Pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. So here are my takeaways from the discussion with Dart. One is, I think he makes an excellent point that companies really operate in two different markets. There's the market for the products, but there's also the market for the work product that they have and, and the target customer is the employee. If we start to look at it from that perspective, that actually has some profound implications because then you got to ask yourself the question, what is it that people want from work, right? Why do they, what do they hire as, as Dart asked the question, what do they hire their job to do? What Dart found is that they, they want different things, right? People want an experience. People want to have, want to solve puzzles. And, and, and I think there's some profound implications if we go down that path, because then it raised the question around like, you know, how does it change the role of HR? In today's world, HR is focused on human, right? Calling human resources or human capital. Uh, and, and that has like this notion that we own resources, right? We acquire these resources, we own them, we control them. And the reality is that's, that's probably in today's job market, no longer true. I think if we adopt his perspective, then that leads us to a fundamentally differently structured HR organization where we have an R&D team that really tries to understand what is the experience that people have and what's the experience that people want. We would have a, a product design team that would really right, design and structure work to enable high performance. It changes the role of the manager from being the person who controls to really being a broker, right? Between what the business wants to achieve and what the employees want to achieve. And so I think it's a really fresh perspective 
that I think for companies that are in the market for talent and you know where, where talent is, is, is scarce, I think would be well advised to take a hard look at. A couple of other takeaways. One is that autonomy is really the price we pay for working in a large organization. And it's really baked into right, our entire model. But we also know that people need right autonomy and, and, and crave it. And we're programmed to, to have autonomy, right? So I think there in itself is already, I think, uh, one of the flaws in the current model of how we look at talent and, and, and job design. And then lastly, I love this comment, the frog has jumped out of the boiling water and it's not going back in. And I think that's really true. Right? I think the pandemic, I think, has forced, uh, and I think the pandemic has led many people to rethink what they get from work and what they want from work. And I think we're going to see quite substantial level of turnover. And, and so I think, you know, companies that I think take darts ideas to heart, I think will probably be in a better position than the rest of them. That's, that's, uh, that's the scoop from my perspective. See you soon. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you did, please subscribe, like, share, or comment. Until next time, let's make work matter.